Welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. I'm your host, Brandy Jackson, founder of Brandy Jackson Golf, where young female golfers can come join the team in search of coaching, consulting, mentorship, and guidance on all things junior golf related, and of course, the college recruiting process. There's also access to an online course, or if you're looking for some fun girls golf lifestyle apparel, even added that to the collection last year. So be sure to go check out www.brandyjacksongolf.com. That's Brandy with an I. Welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. As usual, I'm excited for this guest. Uh, I think I always get excited for all these guests just because I feel so lucky to, to be able to do this and have such great coaches who have been so generous and kind to join me um, on these episodes and share their insights and nothing uh, short of that expectation for this one with who I have on here today. And I'm uh, just looking forward to talking to her about you know her coaching career, what got her into coaching, um, the success there at their program, and and just how that has um, evolved over said over her coaching time. Um, so happy to have the Florida State women's golf coach, Coach Amy Bond, on here joining me. Hey, Brandy, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks again for taking the time. I know we're kind of kicking off spring season, which I know is always crazy. So I definitely appreciate um, you know, the time you're going to take and, and talk and share some insight with. So we have juniors who listen, parents, players, other coaches, uh, all kinds of people that have started tapping in to listen to these uh, podcasts, which has been so cool for me. That was, um, I didn't expect that and doing this and just been excited to uh, to share, you know, what you see in the college golf world and the day in and day out, um, you know, with the student athletes and just the grind of that and and how you got to where you are right now. So tell us a little bit. Um, I won't kind of uh, if you if you don't share some of your accolades, I will be more than happy to do that. But at least kind of take us back to what got you into college coaching. And you're there at, you know, where you played at Florida State yourself as a college golfer. Talk a little bit about that kind of journey. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very blessed to be at my alma mater. Not many coaches have the opportunity to uh, do that. And never in a million years did I actually think I would be a college golf coach. But, you know, God has a, a great way of putting things back in perspective for us and putting us in the places we need to be. So for me, um, I actually grew up a Gator believe it or not, um, growing up in Ocala, Florida, and had spent more games, football games at the University of Florida than Florida State. And um, I have a twin brother, and so he was being recruited to play baseball at both Florida and Florida State. And at the time we came up together, actually the baseball coach told the head coach here at Florida State, hey, Tommy's sister has not committed anywhere. And I think you should check her out as she's a pretty good golfer. And so my brother and I came up on a recruiting trip. I fell in love with Florida State and decided to come here when he chose the other school. You know, he chose Florida and it worked out great for him. And Florida State worked out great for me. But um, as a golfer, I mean, I was new to the golf game. So I didn't actually start playing golf till I was 14 years old. Okay. And yeah. so I came, I became good quick. 
Yeah, um, must have. Yeah, to do that, um, which is good. I know that's encouraging for a lot of girls out there listening that unfortunately the recruiting process is a little different now than when we went through it. Uh, you know, it does happen a little bit faster. Luckily, the rules have shifted it a little bit. Uh, so you don't hear those stories as much anymore. But at the same time, it, to hear that it is possible to do that's always encouraging for those girls who start late. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, believe it or not, my freshman year, I broke, broke 80 twice. I didn't travel. Um, so I kind of sat the bench that first year and nothing made me more upset than having to sit there and watch the yeah. the bus leave or the plane leave. So, um, but I was thankful for the opportunity and I worked hard and by my sophomore year, something clicked. Um, I actually read a book. It was called Mind Over Golf. And I don't know what exactly in the book that yeah. changed my perspective on the game and allowed me to actually play better but came out my sophomore and junior seasons and really just it, it clicked and um so I got good enough where I could travel and I got good enough to really start thinking maybe I could do this for a living um as far as playing coaching yeah. was not in the equation it was just playing 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 um so I finished I actually stayed a fifth year because I didn't play my first year and I got redshirted um and Stayed that extra year, got my undergrad in three and a half and my master's in a year and a half. So in that five years, I was able to get Florida State to pay for my education, which was great. Um, so I had something to fall back on. And then I went out and immediately following um, my senior year, I tried to qualify for the tour and missed it by a shot. And to be honest, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me um, because I wasn't ready. Um, I wasn't I ready can, for the tour life, the selfishness, yeah. things like that. <laughs> I can I can relate. I went the opposite direction. I qualified LPJ status my first year out, and I wish I to a lot of ways I wish I wouldn't have because yeah, you're just not like you know. When I'm not saying you're not. A lot of people are, but I was that way that I was not ready, and it probably hurt my career more than it helped to come right out of college and have especially LPGA status and not you know not kind of have those steps to work out because it is. I mean, it's a it's a um, slap in the face in a very positive way when it happens. But if you're not ready for it, it will, um, it'll, it'll kill your confidence and, and eat you up if you're not careful. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that was my thing. I was like, well, where am I going to go with this? You know, I thought it was devastating news at the time, but now it was, it was great because it allowed yeah. me to kind of slide into the future store, which is now the Symmetra tour. And, um, really get my feet wet as far as professional golf is concerned. Yeah. And, um, I did that. I ended up doing it for four years, but two years into it, my coach from Florida state called and said, Hey, you want to come back and be my assistant coach? Which at the time it just kind of started where they were actually hiring assistant coaches. Cause when I was yeah. in school, we didn't really have one. We might've had a volunteer. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought about it and I said, well, can I still play? And we talked to the administration here at Florida State and they said, sure, you can play during the summer and coach during the winter. Okay. And so it, it worked out perfectly. So for two, two years, I did that. I played and coached at the same time. And, you know, I probably wasn't the best assistant coach, nor was I the best professional golfer. So it became the time that I was going to have to choose and yeah. I really felt like I was better suited as a coach because I could really understand what the kids were going through and I could understand 
the life that they were trying to live since mm-hmm. I had done that. But at the same time, I just really felt like I could, I could help them a lot more. Yeah. And really that, I mean, God did not bless me to be selfish. So I was struggling with when I was home, I wanted to be with the kids all the time. So I was yeah. willing to sacrifice my golf game. So I came back and just totally started that third year, just totally stopped playing golf and uh, became a full-time assistant coach here at Florida State. So from 2001 through 2006, um, of the 2006 season, okay. I was the assistant coach here for my coach. Yes. So it was, okay. it was, was nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a little more comfortable halfway through my second year was when coaches could actually coach coach. So I started going on the road with the team. Only one coach could coach at the time. Yes. Yes. I remember that. Couldn't even go. Yeah. 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 Um, So I just, it was fun to learn and I started Mm -hmm. asking other coaches, Hey, you know, what do you do? Cause I only knew Florida state. Yeah. I knew how we qualified. I knew how we recruited. I knew how we did everything. And about my third year, I thought, maybe I could do this full time. Like maybe I could really have my own program. So I started really interviewing at that point to try to figure out if I could even get a head job somewhere. But in order to do that, I had to ask other coaches how they did it. And I'm thankful that those coaches started to share you know, the, the Kim Evans of the world who were, who was at yeah. Auburn at the time and the Sally Austin, who was at North Carolina, um, Diane Daly at oh, Wake, yeah. you know, they were, they were able to share with me what they did That's so nice. that I, if I ever did get a head job, I could kind of decide for myself which way I wanted to go. So in 2006, I interviewed at Princeton. I'd, I'd been told no a couple times. I'd interviewed for a few positions and been told no. And then uh, in 2006 was hired by Princeton, which was a bit of a rude awakening for a Flor- a Floridian kid born and raised. Um, they were like, you know, when they called and asked me if I would actually put my resume in, if I had interest in the program. And my first question, which seemed silly at the time, but it wasn't to me. I asked them where they were located. <laughs> I had no idea where Princeton was located. And she's like, oh, Princeton, New Jersey. And I was like, oh, wow, New York City. Yeah. You know, I get to go, this country girl gets to go to New York City. <laughs> but very different. Um, yeah. It was a great experience. And so I coached there for four years. And then uh, 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to to come back to Florida State. So, um, And was that replaced been your great. coach? Was that your coach leaving I did. when you I came back? Up, was it? Okay. Yep, I ended up replacing my coach. My coach was here for 26 years. Wow. Prior to me taking over. Yeah. So um, I replaced her and I mean, it's been great. It's, there's been some growing pains. Um, There've been some changes and things like that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Yes. Because it's allowed me to, to be the coach that I am today. Well, that's some of what we want kind of want to talk about a little bit is some of those, maybe those growing pains. And and then, like I said, the, the good, the, good, the bad, the funny, the ups and downs. Cause that he said, that is part of it. And you know, that that's how you learn and how you grow. And it's, you know, again, that's part of wanting to 
have this podcast was to share some of those and let the you know, the juniors coming up or other coaches out there who were in the same shoes that you were back when you were, you know, going to the other head coaches. I have some assist, a lot of assistant coaches who tell me about, um, or not just assistants, but even some head coaches who've told me about listening in and, and how much has helped them hear the other coaches and, and hear their stories and what they struggled with and how they do things. Um, so that was kind of the, you know, the point in doing this and what I want to talk about a little bit. Um, so you've been there, I said, you've been there at, Florida State now for 10 years as the head coach? Yep, this is my 10th year back. Yep. Okay. And then it's my 15th I know, total as being at Florida State. So five as an assistant, 10 as a head. But it's my, I guess it's my 19th season overall because it would be with the four years at Princeton. Play. Gotcha. That's right. Okay. Gotcha. Well, then tell me, you know, as you said that, you know, what have been some of the challenging, you know, or roadblocks or just, you know, a few things that stand out, whether it was early on in your career or even like you said, things have changed, things have transitioned. What's some things that stand out from a very challenging standpoint that you really were some moments in your coaching career that have maybe taught you some of the most, you know, the most that you've learned from the most? I think the biggest thing is in having gone from, you know, being assistant to a head coach, one of the biggest differences, your name's on the door. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? And the best thing that I learned, especially from going from an assistant coach to a head coach, is that I'm walking into a program, and I did the same thing when I went from Princeton back to Florida State. You're walking into a program into players that you didn't recruit. You don't really know them. You can do all the research you want, but you haven't been able to really dig deep and find out what makes those kids tick. What makes mm-hmm. those players go? Why do they play golf? Why do they, you know, why did they choose to go to a certain school? Things of that nature. So they're not your players. So you have to learn to be a good listener and understand that they're used to something different. And even yeah. for the players that are coming into colleges, you know, they're used to listening to mom and dad or their friends and what they do every day. And now there's a coach that's in the picture that's kind of saying, all right, this is how I do my program. Yeah, you know, and and you're expecting those kids just to fall in line and do it. Well, no, I mean, there's got to be trust built. So as a coach, you've got to be a good listener to figure out. I mean, at Princeton, I had to figure out what the old coach did, what the kids liked, what they didn't like, yeah. um, and how they did things. Because the great thing about Princeton when I got there is the former coach wasn't a golf coach; he was in charge of campus rec. So any time I gave the kids some attention, they loved it because they never got instruction before. They never had somebody actually be out at practice. You know, somebody would show up for the tournaments, but they, you know, they weren't really, quote, golfers. Uh, Or the coach wasn't a golfer. So I had to be a good good listener um, and figure out what they want. You know, at the same time, I also have to be open as a coach to share – my thoughts, my philosophy with the players, knowing that some are going to get it and some aren't. So you got to be able to accept the criticism as well that, okay, maybe I didn't do this right. And there have been many times in my life, you know, as coaches, you should never want your players to be perfect because we're not perfect people at all. We're going to make mistakes. And I think owning up to those mistakes is big. Being like, you know what, guys, I screwed up. I didn't handle this right. You know, I didn't communicate very well with y'all. 
this drill is a failure. So <laughs> we're going to start over. Yeah. You know, it happens. And yeah. if your players can realize that you're human, yeah, it's a whole lot better. You know, I want the players to share with me. And the only way they're going to share with me is if they trust me, they know I listen and that I care about them. I care about them as people, not just players. Um, and then I'm going to have to share a little bit myself. So I'm going to have to be open enough. I'm asking them to be open. So I need to be open enough to say, all right, let me give you a little bit about me. <laughs> yes. You know, so I think those are the biggest things that I learned is there, there's so much more going on than golf. It's actually oh, yes. bigger than golf. You know, golf is something small that we do, but it doesn't define us as people. Yeah. So as soon as we all realize that, <laughs> that communication line tends to open quite a bit. So along with the love and the, the caring part, for sure. Yeah, I think that's been probably one of the biggest um, insight, I think, from some of the coaches that has been, I think, one of their biggest realization as a coach and then I think just in, in doing these episodes that you know it's so much more than golf and yes there are some programs where golf expectation and winning is higher than other programs and there's a different way of doing it but just like you said at the end of the day I mean there it is so much more than than golf and you know, I struggle with that with some of my players who you know, go through the recruiting process and it's just so hard for them sometimes they even want to say you know what if you didn't get to play college golf would it be the end of the world? I don't, you know, sometimes I just want to put it in that perspective that, you know, yes, we want to work hard and we want to, you know, achieve these goals and do all this. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not so much more about what you're doing and what you're learning and how you're growing and all of this that that's coming from all of this that, you know, even if you don't get to check off A, B, C, and D that's on your list, you're going to have learned and grown and done so much, um, especially when you're around good people and good teammates and good coaches and everything. Oh, for sure. I mean, college is probably the, the best time. It should be the best time of your life where you learn who you truly are. And whether that is golf related or socially, personally, mm -hmm. you know, it depends on the Very person, much. but you hope you hit all three, you, you hit all three, you hit your golf, you hit your, your personal life. And then from a social perspective, have you done everything you wanted to do since yeah. you're kind of free for the last time? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> yeah. For the first and last time, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It seems that way. Right. Um, some people might take that to an extreme sometimes when they get their first signs of freedom, Correct. but you know, that's yeah. part of the growth process there and the ones that, you know, kind of come back from that and, and really learn what's important. Um, it's okay to, have that little bit of, like you said, that take advantage of that freedom sometimes a little more than you might should have. Well, yeah, then but we all got to learn. You got to make the mistake. Exactly. Once, exactly. <laughs> oh yes. It's just not making the mistakes over and over and over again and never learning from them is the, obviously the not good part of it. Right. Well, you know, we talked about the challenging part. So talk a little bit, you know, what's been some of the, you know, I know back um, 2017, I know it was a great year. I guess it was the 2016-17 season was a great year. Mm -hmm. He was a coach and as, you know, as the team, I know you've had some, been to uh, I think seven straight NCAA championships. I know you've had some, some great success, but within all of that, and it may even be something earlier in your career, what's been, you know, one of the most rewarding moments, or again, maybe it's just been a a trend or something that has changed over time that's been really rewarding for for you as a coach or even you know, as the team as a whole 
Yeah. I mean, I think if we talk about that 16-17 season real quick, you know, that team won six times. And in golf, you lose a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you lose more than you win. So the fact that they kept winning um, was something special and not to be taken for granted. Um, but the best thing about that group was that that group of actually juniors that year was a group that we sold. We They basically – we sold to them in the cr- recruiting process that – they were going to change our program, change what Florida State was known for. And to see them as juniors actually accomplish that and be successful, that's one of the most rewarding things because, I mean, we sold them on the product of what is Florida State, but they made it into what it could be and what it is these days. So with that, anytime for me a player gets it and understands their potential, it's a huge check mark. It's a success. It goes down in the book um, for a success. And Definitely. that's one of the biggest things for us as a program is that our kids, when they buy in and they get it and they're successful, everybody's successful. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter. It could happen off the golf course, but obviously right now we're talking about on the golf course. So you had kids winning individual championships. You were winning team championships. Um, we finished second at ACC's that year, which we hadn't done that in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have three straight second place finishes. So it's just been a trend where once you, when you see things on paper, it scares you sometimes, you know, you yeah. think, Oh, this team's better than me. I can't complete Pete with this player because on paper they look better. But when you actually see people in person and see teams in person it puts it all in perspective. Oh, well, they don't do anything differently than I do. You know, they might've made two more putts than I did. So let me go back to the drawing board and work on my putting, you know, but they didn't hit the ball any better. They really didn't chip it any better. They might've wedged it better. So little things like that. We made the commitment a few years ago to work on our wedge games and work a hundred yards in. And so we spend half of our practice virtually every day working something a hundred yards in as a group. And then they can kind of venture off and do their own stuff. But that's when we really started to see success from both a player perspective and the team. Because we have to do things differently. Every single player on our team has a different golf swing, a different personality, different goals. So as we do a lot of things together, everybody's working on something individually. And when they get it, that's a success. For my Princeton players, Boy, I tell you what, golf had to be a de-stressor, not a stressor. <laughs> I could, you know, I if could I made it that probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I made it a stressor, they were going to walk away and be miserable. Yeah. So for them, I mean, I admire them because I, I could not do the academic rigors that they went through every single day and then expect to be a good golfer. But they were. And so I admired that about them, that they came to get a great education and play great golf. And they were able to do both. Um, So to me, I guess my success is kind of wrapped up in my players. And you hear coaches say it all the time. You know, players make coaches look good. Um, And they do. You know, Mm -hmm. we just have to point them in the right direction. We just have to give them the right right schedule um, and kind of the the task of how to be successful. If you do this, 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 you can be successful. So that to me are some of my biggest accomplishments and, you know, I've surrounded myself with some great assistant coaches. 
So I can't take all the credit because my assistant coaches are kind of my right and left arm. Actually, so yeah, I'm sure um, that helps a lot in, in the, yeah. the balance and the, the trying to juggle everything, having a good assistant and having a, an administration that, you know, supports you needing a good assistant and needing that, you know, like you said, just that, just to, to fill those gaps or fill those weaknesses. I know a lot of, um, I think it's one thing that a lot of junior players don't understand is that relationship between head coach and assistant and, and how they balance each other out. And some, you know, the, the head coach might be more, you know, swing technical oriented and the, you know, the assistant might be better at recruiting and, and seeing those different kind of um, different balances there that kind of help balance each other out. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a family. You got to make sure as a head coach, you make the right hires and somebody that's going to compliment you. You don't want somebody that's exactly alike um, that they're going to compliment you and, yeah. you know, things like that. So a player needs to look at all that stuff. And for me, I mean, we're a combined program. So all four of us, including our men's side, all four of us coaches can coach and recruit men and women. Well, it's okay. been a unique situation for me to be able to look at the men's side and you know, watch them and coach them and things like that. But our players develop different relationships with each of us. You know, they have some that they're super confident with and would go to with anything. Well, as a head coach, if they choose one of my assistants, I can't be jealous of that. Yeah. I have to, you know, say, all right, whatever, whatever it takes to put the player in a place where they can be successful is what I have to do. So I have to kind of put my ego aside and go, Hey, have at it, you know, go talk to Rob today, go talk to Matt today, whatever they need and whatever they're comfortable with. So I think, you know, as coaches, we have to be open to that. If not, yeah. it's going to be the detriment of your program and your players. Yeah, I can imagine. And yeah, I know y'all got a little different setup there. Like you said, as y'all being one program together, which is very interesting and unique. Is there, what do you see, as the, you know, you kind of mentioned a little bit, but what are some of the other benefits there for how that works out with having you know, both programs kind of under one window? The great thing is, you know, we fundraise together. That's big. But the biggest thing to me is that you get four sets of eyes to look at you, you know, as a player. So in a lot of regular quote, traditional programs, if the men coach walks by one of the women's golfers and she's struggling on maybe on the putting green um, and she's the only one standing there, rule wise he can't stop and help her yeah you know but here they can do it and they can be a part of it and we can swap out coaches you know so that to me is a huge advantage and also you know it gives the players that opportunity to get a few different perspectives if they're looking for it yeah um we make sure we're all on the same page you know that all the kids are getting the same information from each of us but it's it's just unique in that I have somebody to bounce multiple ideas off of every single day and on the road and things like that. Plus it gives the the kids a change. You know, if, if one of them's traveled the first three events, you know, the other one gets to go the last events or they flip flopping in between. So for the players, they're seeing something different. They're comfortable with them both, but they're getting just a little bit different perspective week in and week out depending on who's familiar with the golf course but gotcha. I like yeah, it that makes sense yeah I mean from a selfish perspective on my point I love it <laughs> yeah because I got all different kind of resources it's true you yeah. know yeah. right outside my door but from it's a player true. it's nice because 
we're just adding to their team rather than yeah. taking away. So, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I had not, I, I knew that was how y'all had it, but didn't quite know the dynamics of what was allowed and what wasn't and, and how that was done. So um, interesting for sure. And and like you said, only for the most part should only benefit the players and, and you as a coach. So it's um, mm-hmm. seems like a great way to great way to run the program. So very cool. Well, yeah. you in that you kind of brought up about you know, being a successful student athlete and, and helping to give them those tools. What are some things you see and you have seen, you know, through your years of doing this that does kind of stand out as the traits and the habits of the players that help them be more successful just in, you know, in general, not just because like I said we're not just talking about them on the golf course success wise, but to be a successful student athlete. What are some things that stand out that you've seen? I mean, I think some of the biggest things are they got to have a good work ethic. They've got to be willing to work hard that some days are going to be harder than others. Um, golf is not easy. It's not an easy sport to uh, play. Um, it's actually one of the harder sports to play. Um, so you've got to be willing to do what it takes. You know, rain or shine, you got to get out there and work on the things that aren't all that fun. Yes. I mean, typically if we're good ball strikers, we really want to hit balls on the range all day. We don't want to, you know, maybe go chip and putt, which are our weaknesses. So you got to be willing to sacrifice, you know, sometimes being not good at something to make Mm -hmm. it better. Um, The other thing I would say time management, and I'm sure a lot of coaches have said that, but time management is a key that there is plenty of time in the day to get your schoolwork done or go to class, get your schoolwork done, have a good quality practice, and then also have time at night to do some stuff that you want to do, whether it be go to a basketball game um, or go to the movies, whatever it may be, that there's enough time in the day to do that if we're scheduling things properly. Yeah. Now, if we're procrastinating, we're going to be in trouble. Yes. Um, but that's a big thing in, in most of us. I mean, I can't, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. I procrastinate from time to time, but, yeah. you know, when work's got to be done, we got to do it. Um, I'd say the other thing that parents can help with is to prepare their kid to yes. live it on their own you know, make sure they know how to do their laundry. I mean, for us, we're wearing garnet a lot. Well, if you <laughs> wash garnet with white, it's going to be pink. So you got to learn how to do that stuff, how to make some food on your own, boil water at least. Yeah. I mean, we can all eat ramen noodles from time to time, but you'd hope <laughs> to make something a little bit healthier little bit from time yeah. to time. Yeah. Um, and then allow their kids to be independent. You know, they need to learn to wake up on their own. You know, when they're in high school, they got to get up. You know, you can't be going in their rooms and and waking them up and things like that and helping them turn in their assignments. And if they forget, they forget. The only way they can learn sometimes is to make a mistake and it end up costing something. You hope it's not too bad, but give them that responsibility to be in charge of themselves. That's the best thing my parents did for me. I mean, I had three brothers, um, or I have three brothers, and my mom was like, I'm out of doing laundry, and y'all can wake up yourselves <laughs> and, you know, fix yourself breakfast and things like that. But it helped me when I got to college. I'm sure, yeah. Um, because there's a lot on kids' plates these days. And you got to, I guess the other little piece is don't be so attached to your phones. You know, phones are yeah. great, and it's nice to be able to talk to people and text and be on social media. But when it's time to work, work. When it's your playtime, 
by all means play on it. Yeah. But we've all become obsessed with the phones right now. So, you know, have a conversation, yeah. carry on a conversation with people, um, learn how to talk to them. And we, we put the phones away at dinner. They're in the car or if they happen to bring them in, they're sitting in the middle of the table on top of each other so that nice. you can carry on a conversation. Enjoy the time with your teammates, get to know them, learn something about them that you didn't know before that has nothing to do with golf. So I think those little things go a long way. And, you know, for most kids, just be confident in yourself, be able to critique yourself if you need to be able to constructively criticize or take that criticism um, of, Hey, if you, this was not good today, let me go work on it and work on it a hundred percent. If you only gave 50%, then, you know, you should be able to go, mm, I didn't, I didn't do what I needed to do today. So how yeah. can I expect it to be better? So like it's it. not being, you know, yeah, it's not thinking poorly of yourself. It's just being honest. Yes. So yes. That honesty, I, I like it. Yeah. Honestly, well, you said something and I actually, this is not one I kind of prepared, prepped you for in terms of uh, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit tougher question, but I actually asked, I was listening to a podcast last week and, and I love the answer that was given and I stuck it in my notes in my phone. And then I asked all of my girls this week, the same thing was, you know, what's your definition of confidence? And it's interesting to hear where people come from with that. So maybe share what you're, you know, what to you or what do you try to get your players to understand that being confident in the definition of confidence actually means? I mean, I think the big thing for me, if, you know, if I'm throwing from the hip here, um, I did kind of put is, you on the spot a little bit for that one. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> hey, we, coaches got to think on their feet sometimes. Hey, okay. okay. There you go. There uh, you go. <laughs> I think the biggest thing when I, when I think of the word confidence is that you have to have the faith in yourself to do the best that you can regardless of the circumstances. And if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I gave it all I had, then to me, that's the definition of confidence. Um, but yeah. also at the same time, being able to say, Hey, you know what? I didn't have it today or I screwed that up. Um, I think that's being confident too, because you're willing to make a mistake because you can't be afraid to make a mistake. Because we're all yeah. going to do it. Nobody's perfect. Um, but I think when it comes to the being truly confident in yourself, it means that you trust yourself to do the right things when needed and to the best of your ability. Yeah, I think that was actually, I was trying to go back in my notes and, and see the exact quote. And this is, um, he's a well-known kind of CrossFit trainer, uh, a couple of the big time girls. And that was exactly what he said was knowledge that I can give my best effort regardless of the circumstances. And I thought that like, I just, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that it's a different way of thinking about confidence, but I think based on some of the answers that my players have given me this week, it's, uh, isn't necessarily what everybody thinks of as being confident. You know, a lot of people's first ones is, you know, confident to win or play my best round or, you know, whatever that to them is, is where they feel like the confidence should be instead of, you know, a little different, different approach to it. So I thought I'd yeah, throw that's that great. I mean, that's great. Yeah. I'm glad yeah, I had so, his answer. That's I'm good. Say, you, yeah, you <laughs> did. And like I said, it was what I, when he said it, like I said, it seemed, it sounded so simple, but yet 
seemed, you know, I said, and that's what I wanted to hear what all of my girls had to say, what their, you know, what their take on it was. And I've had a few of them waiting on all the rest of them to reply. And uh, I said, it's been interesting so far just to see their perspective on what being confident means. Um, so and funny, like I said, you almost said it exactly word for word. I think you used the word faith instead of knowledge, but you pretty much mm -hmm. hit it exactly on what I had written down that he said that day. So that was, that's kind of, well, I mean, I think for us as people anyway. in general, yeah, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> I think for all of us people, you have to have the faith or the knowledge that you can do it. If you can't, if you don't have that, then I don't know how anybody can be successful. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a little bit of faith in yourself. Um, and believe that you can do it. So just to get through a day-to-day -day life, you know, yes. hey, I believe that I can get up this morning. All right. Well, then once you get up, woo, then it's half, you know, that's half yep. the battle. Exactly. Yes. And I choose yep. to be happy today. All right. Well, let's go then. Yep. So little things like that to me go a long way. I, I totally agree with that. And, and like I said, it's, uh, you know, that just taking that first step a lot of times and, and it's kind of the same thing with the, when, you know, when you get to the golf course and it's just that, all right, got to get this first tee shot off. And then we got that out of the way. And, you know, you just got to keep believing that the next one's going to be your best effort and it's not always going to be the result you wanted, or you can put, you know, you can have the best. That's what a lot of girls I think still don't understand is they can have the best round of their life. And it still doesn't mean they're going to win the tournament. Um, because somebody else may play mm -hmm. just as good and they're going to think of that as not being good enough because they didn't win. And yet, you know, that should not be the, the, the confidence that comes from playing your best. Uh, if you beat yourself up just because somebody beat you when you played your best, it's just never gonna, um, never going to be good enough, I guess. And I feel like some of the, some players out there have a little bit of that tendency to not realize um, it's a little bit more about their, their effort and their trust of their effort than it is the outcome that can only be controlled so much that's true you can't control if you're going to win or i mean if you're going to win or you're going to lose yeah the, the golf course dictates that exactly. you know at the end of the day so we can play exactly. good we can play the best we can play but that doesn't mean we're going to win so yeah exactly well let's talk uh, a couple more things here and then we'll kind of wrap this up but kind of leads into this a little bit of one you know kind of pick your brain a little bit of what your, you know, what the players, the, the training, the nutrition, some of those things. We hadn't talked about that too much here on the podcast. So I just wanted to, um, you know, just find out a little bit about what the, you know, like I said, you're coming out of the, coming out of the off season right now, but what's the training workout schedule look like for you all there on a uh, in season, off season kind of basis. Yeah, it's become such a huge part of college athletics in general, and especially golf over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, even um, maybe even longer. But our training piece in season is we are working out with our strength coach who's doing golf specific workouts three times a week. So um, it's usually two early mornings and then an afternoon, and it's two two days in the actual um, weight room. And then it's one day, we have one day out at the golf course, actually, where they're doing some med balls and some TRX stuff, along with maybe some, a little more cardio in there. And then our biggest difference is in off season, um, we go to an extra day. So we go to four days a week because we have less time on the golf course with them. Um, but that's when we really push them hard. That's when we're really increasing the weight 
um, that they're doing. We're really pushing them hard because when you're in season, as much as we're playing, you got to taper a little bit as we head into things. So we're pushing them hard in the off season and in the summertime. Um, in the summertime, it's mainly done on their own, but they have a workout that they could stick to all summer. Um, and strength and conditioning is great. The things that we've really been working hard on this year are making sure they're getting enough water because most kids don't drink enough water. They don't drink half their body weight in ounces in water to stay hydrated. Um, the nutrition piece has become bigger. What to eat on the golf course, what to eat off the golf course, when to eat. Um, as with females, you know, we're always looking at our body image and things like that, but you want to be healthy, whatever it takes to be healthy. So that includes, you know, all your food groups, um, eating carbs certain times of the day on the golf course. You know, there are times for sugar, um, things of that nature, depending on what you need. So we've had our nutritionists come in and talk to the girls numerous times, just as a group and individually to figure out what would suit each player because every body type is different. different, Yeah. yeah. But again, the kids have to buy into that. Yeah. I mean, I don't limit what they eat when they eat things like that. I want them if they want to eat it, to eat it. Now, I clearly don't want them drinking Cokes on the golf course. Um, but if they wanted one Eating afterwards. Snickers sure. at the turn and hot dogs at the turn. Right. Yeah, probably not going to do that. But, you know, within reason. Um, yes. You know, the apples, the bananas, the fruits, the protein bars. Um, I'm trying to think. Beef jerky has been a big yes. thing with our team. Um, chocolate yeah. milk has been a big thing. Okay. Um, heck, that if we go back to that 16-17 squad, their two big things were chocolate milk and the gummy octopus that you'd get. So, okay. That's a (laughs) weird combination, but Hey, when they made birdies, they wanted the gummy octopus. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. We hope that they didn't have them. I hope that wasn't together. Yeah. No, most of the time it wasn't. The chocolate milks were afterwards. Well, some of them were in the middle of a round, but not typically around the gummy octopus. Well, they say chocolate milk is a good recovery. Um, I know workout wise and stuff, a lot of people do. I can't handle dairy. So, uh, and I know it's from a sugar perspective, depends on how much else you're getting, but I know chocolate milk has some, some good benefits from a a training perspective and everything too. Oh yeah. I mean, it's good. And and I'm, that is not my area of expertise. So I'm going to listen to the nutritionist as they're talking to the players and try to learn a little bit myself. So when I go to the grocery store, at the tournaments, I kind of know what to get and what the kids like. Um, the other thing we focused on is stretching and kids don't do that enough. They don't have a full stretching routine that they do every single day before they start practicing or before they play. So we've really put that into place. Um, and then with the strength and conditioning piece, I guess I should have probably started with, we do an assessment of our kids when they come in every year. And we do four a year. We, when they come in at the end of the fall, the beginning of the spring, and at the end of the spring. Um, and we do assessments on them to see if they're improving or what our baseline is to start. And along with that assessment is a functional movement screening. Um, okay. Because we, we need to, in a TPI, part of it's TPI. Yeah. Um, but you need to see what the kids can and can't do. You know, if we're working with a player on the range and trying to get them into a certain position in their golf swing and physically they can't do it, we're wasting everybody's time and probably frustrating everybody. Yes. So we try to run them through that to make sure that, one, the player's capable of doing it. 
Um, and two, if, to see if there's any areas that we can help improve. Because, yeah. I mean, to me, as coaches, it's our job to help them improve, not just on the golf course, but off the golf course. But part of that is, a, you know, quality of life. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's well, figure out. Here, you hear about a lot of them who get hurt. I hear probably more complaints about the juniors going to college. Well, we do too much lifting and it's, you know, I'm hurt and this and that hurts. And, you know, I I 100% know that there are some, you know, programs and settings where there is some blame there for the fact that, you know, they're doing the same workouts that, you know, another sports doing or whatever, but that sounds like like you said, those assessments and, and keeping check of things and making sure, you know, there's nothing functionally that's not doing what it needs to is a huge thing from an injury prevention, you know, perspective as well, especially those freshmen coming in who haven't, who haven't trained at that level a lot of times and don't quite have that, you know, it is easy for them to come in and have some aches and pains that they're not used to if they're, you know, having to work out and do things like that. So I'm sure that helps from an injury prevention and just a a transition into college golf position as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, that to me plays a huge role. And, you know, I'm not a coach that is a winning at all cost kind of coach. If there's something a kid needs to work on and it may take a little while, I have to be patient enough to get them there rather than do something that's going to be a detriment to their career later on by pushing them so hard now to do something that maybe they're just not ready for. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's a, it's a long-term you know, again, I think some of the junior players have a hard time thinking long-term with things, especially when they get hurt or, you know, they're overuse and practice and, and stressing about things and just forget about how long of a career, even if you only play college golf, you know, how much more golf there is to play and how much you're going to be doing and, and the wear and tear on your body and, and how important it is to, to not overuse or to not, you know, just – to push through injuries in a way that you want to be, you know, you don't want to use them as excuses, but not, you know, not just keep making things worse. And, you know, know, just in terms of rest time and breaks and those kinds of things, that's just so important. Cause I said, it's, it's a long, long career, long span of things when you get there and you don't want to have to, you know, have too much time off when you get to college, if you can help it. It goes by fast. I mean, you can ruin it early. You can ruin it by hurting something that's never going to be fixed. Yes. You know, that you can't recover from. So take the time now to, you know, heal it Yes, as best you can and, and try not to repeat it. Yes. That was last podcast we did. I had one of the former Furman girls that came on with me who's out playing on tour now, who's had her share of issues and, and dealing with them. And, and she definitely looks at her earlier days a little bit different for taking care of it and doing the rehab she was supposed to do and things that probably would have helped her to not suffer with it as much now that she's, you know, trying to play professionally. Um, and so she came on and talked about, you know, kind of when to listen to your body and, and when to, you know, just the, the different types of injuries and, and how to just be okay with having to sit out sometimes and those kinds of things and, and trying to be a little more patient and, uh, you know, just so, so much smarter about it than what she was at that age. And even yeah, through I'm college, she said the same way in big. college. Yes, yeah, yes. Course, none of us video. are patient, but yeah. no. that's, a, that's a whole new podcast right there, being patient. And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. be willing the, to heal. The, the athlete and, in everybody, and that I struggle with it. I'm, my elbows bother me right now after having a really good day Saturday in the gym and all this, and so excited. And I go back yesterday, and I went to do the exact same thing I did on Saturday, and I was like, that's 
does not feel good. And my first thought is, oh, as soon as I get to like a point now, I'm going to have to like rest it and I'm going to have to modify. But you know, that's, you got it. But at the same time, if I kept pushing it, then I'm going to, you know, it's going to hurt more. So just knowing when things are, you know, I said, but at the same time, you also don't want to be a big wuss about it either. And, and every little yeah. thing, you know, you can't play, you got to withdraw, you know, you definitely don't want to be that either. So finding that, that happy balance there of pushing through things, but being smart about it, smart about it. Hmm. talk smart about it and patient is, <laughs> is key for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. Well, you know, I know as far as some of the things that I wanted to talk about, I can sit here every episode. I feel like I can sit here and talk about all kinds of stuff. I just, I enjoy getting the chance to talk to the coaches and it's just, it's given me a huge perspective on being a college coach and, and the those relationships with the girls and just the, you know, I said the ups and the downs and, and the good, the bad and everything. So I've really enjoyed, you know, all these episodes and everything that, um, that I've been able to learn from them, but is there anything else that maybe we didn't talk about that you, you know, might want to touch on or, or share with all the listeners out there? I mean, I think we've covered a lot of it. I mean, I think it's just mainly keeping things in perspective and knowing that, you know, us as coaches, we're, we're regular people and just trying to get by day-to-day life. We just have the opportunity to um, influence some young people, you know, especially 18 to 22 year olds. I think, you know, I tease my kids all the time and tell them I'm writing this book. And I have been keeping track in a notebook for the last 19 years of things that have happened because you can't make some of this stuff up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, both good, bad, funny, you know, indifferent, that's things like that. That's what we that. didn't cover was the funny. That's one thing that I know everybody enjoys hearing. Uh, so maybe before I wrap it up, if uh, you, you said that, you mentioned it, sharing a funny, one of your funniest stories, especially since you just said you've got a whole notebook of them. Uh, what's one maybe that stands out? I know everybody's always enjoyed doing the the fun hearing the funny stories. I know I kind of skipped. Oh yeah, about everything else. Like where do you where do you where start? <laughs> I mean, some of them from you know I had a I had a team one time that that hot dogged my car. And, oh goodness! You know what is that? You know they skewered the antenna and then they stuck hot dogs in all the crevices of the car you could possibly. Oh goodness. Wow. Um, so I took it to the car wash and as I'm spraying it off, hot dogs are flying everywhere and they just thought it was the best thing. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm thankful that, that not too many things have happened to me, but from the player's perspective, you know, um, some of my, my best teams, you know, I've already spoken of, of some of them, but you know, the different, superstitions they have of what they think makes them successful from the chocolate milk and the gummy octopus. Um, the chocolate milk has been a part of even the teams at Princeton. Um, but I think that the, the funniest stories are those impromptu moments as a coach where you're sitting there and a kid says something, for example, kids all the time say, coach, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, well, like, do you have to ask me a question to ask, ask me a question, question. <laughs> or can you just ask, <laughs> just ask it. you know, ask the question, um, or they're going to ask you it. Know, if you say kids, no, they're probably going to ask it anyway. So the, they're yeah. going to ask it anyways, yeah. or they're going to be sad for, you know, yeah. 10 minutes and moping pout, around yeah. like, okay, well, I didn't have, I just wanted to know where, where we were eating dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have my cre- most creative group of kids currently who are the most devious. They're super uh. sweet. But when it comes to their evil minds, 
um, yeah. of what they can think of, you know, oh, cause goodness, they want us as scary. coaches to, they're like, Hey coach, if I make three birdies coming in, you have to jump in the cold 30 degree pool, Oh goodness, you know, and they goodness, think that's funny. Creative. Um, so we've done that or they've had my assistant, um, he had, he had a goatee and they made him, they said, Hey, if we win, you have to go to a handlebar mustache for three days. Oh, wow. You yeah, know, so it's embarrassing for us coaches. Yeah. But as coaches, whatever it takes, you know, to give them our new word of confidence, you yeah. know, if they feel like they can run through a wall for you, I'll jump in a 30 degree pool. Yeah. I'll get my nice. assistant to shave his mustache, <laughs> you know, at, at some point, if we do, um, in the near future, win the national championship, they want my two, uh, assistants to stand on the 18th green and dance and sing to Beyonce's single ladies. Oh my goodness. That's, With that's all the a moves. pretty good incentive there. Yeah. That so would... it's little things like that, that I don't have like super funny. Well, at least right yeah. now, I mean, some stuff, my funniest stories, I cannot repeat on this podcast. Um, you and I separately, I might could tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I've had a lot of international players and the way in which they pronounce certain words, yeah. um, get really interesting. I mean, really interesting sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to interpret it a little bit. Um, but you know, little, little things like that, but it's yeah. most of all, it's fun. You get to meet kids from all over the world who come from many different backgrounds, I would not change it yeah. for a bit. They, as difficult as 18 to 22 year olds can be sometimes, I would not change <laughs> it because there are many more good days than bad. But it's always interesting to see every new kid that comes into the program and not only what they're going to bring positively to the program, but what of their, what pieces of their culture, yeah. of what they've grown up with, are they going to bring? So personality and cultural, because everybody brings something different Um, and what they like and what they don't like. So, um, sorry, I don't have more funny, but I mean, no, that was, that's good. Maybe one day in my best-selling book, in my (laughs) best-selling book, you'll have all the pieces and I've asked the kids if I can use their names. Yeah. I was going to say, when you have your book, we'll have you back on the, we'll have you back on the podcast (laughs) to talk about your book when you write that one day Mm -hmm. and you know, when you're retired and you can share those stories. However, when I had, when it was me and uh, Mick, who obviously I played for, were did an episode yeah. a few weeks ago, I, I joked that I was going to make him sign a, a waiver before that he wasn't allowed to tell some of the stories between, from, from my days. And I'm kind of glad he didn't. Cause yeah, there was definitely some that uh, would rather him not share on a podcast. Um, and that, that probably goes both ways as well, just cause yeah, there's some things that probably need to stay in within, within the team, the team environment. But I said, there are, there's so many more good days and there are bad days. And, and, and I said, it's great that there's that many good, funny moments that there's almost too many to be able to share, whether they're, you know, um, kind of serious, kind of funny things that end up funny after the fact or their pranks or, or whatever they are, you know, that's one thing that, you know, you want the juniors out there to understand how serious college golf is and how, you know, big of a deal and, and how much of responsibility and, and accountability there is to it and get them to understand that so that they, you know, work hard for it, take it serious, but at the same time, want them to understand how, how much fun it is and, and how much you do learn and grow and, and get to experience by doing that. Um, you know, the, the good comes with the bad and the ups and the downs. And um, so I said, I think just 
knowing that there are that many stories just, I think, gives them such insight into just how, said, how much fun it can be when you, you know, when you've got a good culture and you've got, you know, good, good work ethic and, and good atmosphere about a team is when it can be the most fun and, and finding that and having that's just such a, such a benefit for players who get to go experience that in college golf. Yeah. I mean, there's time for work and there's time for play and we have, we have fun Fridays and the kids run practice however they want to do it. Nice. And they can change the rules in between. And, you know, I've done, I've bought pie in the face out to practice, you yeah. know, where you have to, if you, if you miss a putt, you got to spin the wheel and, you know, you hope that the pie in the face doesn't go off on you. Um, <laughs> fun, at fun, that, fun, fun. you know, or, you know, little things like that, but there, it is fun. It should be the most fun in your life, but at the same time, there is hard work that goes along with it, and you got to be dedicated yeah. to that. But yeah. heck, golf's a game; it should be played. So, yes. you know, if you're not having any fun, then woof, we got to do something different. Yeah, so. I feel you. Definitely feel you on that. So, well, I think we have covered quite a bit, and like I said, I am extremely grateful that you took the time during I said what is you know I know a busy time as I know y'all getting ready I think to head out for your next event and uh, you know I know this stretch of a few tournaments before postseason play kicks in can be super crazy um, so I appreciate you taking the time I know everybody out there listening in you know definitely appreciates the insight it was some really good info on you know, your coaching background and then you know what you see as as a college coach now and the athletes and a little bit of insight into how you all do things with with the program there um so any last parting words before we sign off here no i mean i, I appreciate it I, I i appreciate being on and my advice to the the players and the parents is just to pick the place that's the right fit for for the player you know where they're going to play where they're going to be challenged you know, if you took college golf out of it, would they still be happy at that school? I think is an important piece as well. But, you know, make sure you do your homework and pick the program that's best for their their son or daughter and um, or the player themselves. Just pick the right spot for you. You'll get a gut feeling. But I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share. And it's been fun. And we're hosting this week. So it was a oh, great nice. distraction. Yeah, it well, was a great distraction to – to get away for a minute. Glad I could provide that distraction for you and best <laughs> of luck hosting this weekend. And for all of you out there listening in, I hope you enjoyed another episode here and I will see you next time on the next episode of tap into college golf.